0: I'm super excited to have my friend Colleen Gratzer on, and she's going to be talking. I've learned a ton from her about accessibility. That's not all she does, but she is, I think, an accessibility guru. She does it for Mm -hmm. print, for digital, and for branding, and we're going to be focusing on web stuff today, so digital things, and really, it kind of blew my mind when I realized all the things that I should have been doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) earlier to make sure that I was doing this correctly I met uh Colleen through the pro group and she was a speaker at camp last year Mm -hmm. and I am taking her web accessibility class and I have a link I hope you guys will join me but she also has a branding class and you're like "Mm, I don't need that I have but we are gonna bust some myths today I hope and we're gonna get some pet peeves I'm telling you Colleen gets her panties in a wad pretty quick (laughs) because she I love it though she's passionate I love people like that. Well, I could talk mm-hmm. to Colleen for four hours, and we would be—I would be so hyped up after talking to her because she gets so excited. And that's why I love—I love sharing with y'all passionate people who are mm-hmm. passionate about the thing that they do. And the, she's a she's an educator. She's presented at the—I won't always want to say the Pentagon, but I don't know if that's right. I Not think I've men. made that up.
1: <laughs> the, the, the The U.S. Department of the Interior, and then Creative Pro as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Okay, so that's what I consider the Pentagon people. So, But people in government, in the United States at least, um, that are setting, setting the stage and the bar. And we are gonna bust some myths about what disability is, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's not just somebody in a wheelchair or somebody who's blind, because those are the first things that we think of. But mm-hmm. Colleen, I don't wanna jump in right away. I want you to tell them a little bit about your background. You started as a designer, um, what you focus on now, And then, and we'll get into how you made that shift. Like it was on accident. I know of how you started doing this, but can you give them a little bit of your background? You're in Maryland. I know.
1: Yeah. So I'm in Maryland. I'm, I'm originally from the DC area and I've, I've been in the design industry for almost 25 years. I went to college to study graphic design and foreign languages actually, but I didn't finish my design degree. I finished my foreign language degree Because I started, I got, I went home and interviewed in my last semester and I got a job before I graduated. So I graduated on Memorial Day weekend and started my job like that Tuesday. And I was working as a designer. So, and I ended up working for a nonprofit right out of college. And that kind of became my niche because after I left that job and went to other jobs, like I worked for a design firm and some publishing companies, but I started to get tons of work on the side, tons of freelance work from nonprofits. And that kind of, that that's that really like shaped my business and and the types of clients that I was attracting. So it was kind of like a niche, but it's not really a niche, but it's sort of a niche. And I was providing everything for for years. I was providing branding, I was providing print publication design, email coding, web design, web coding, because I learned HTML back in '95. You know when it was things were just happening with websites, and so accessibility just really. It changed a lot of that and made me focus. And so I, and I really enjoyed it and it's, be, it's really, it, it really changed things for me. And that started in 2016. And like you said, it was totally by accident. I didn't know what it was. And I saw this, there's a, the, the woman who taught me is Bevy Shagnon of PubCom and she's also in Maryland and we're on a local email list. And she was constantly like sending out emails about her course, like whenever she was offering her InDesign accessibility course or her word, Microsoft word accessibility course. And I would see these emails and I would just see subject line, you know, something with accessibility. And I'm like, okay, delete. Cause I didn't know what it was. And I'm like, it doesn't apply to me. Right. And then in 2016, she called me and she said, I know you're a really good designer. I know you can do website code. She's like, I think this would be really good work for you to learn. Will you take my course? And it was the InDesign accessibility course. And I was like, I guess. Okay, sure. So she, I mean, she had to kind of convince me a little bit. I got on the phone with her and talked to her about it. And then I took it and I was like, oh, wow, this is really interesting. This is really cool. So um, then I was like, okay, well, where am I going to get this work? Right? I just started talking about it and I just started getting that work. And it was my first, I think it was the first or second publication that I got for this that had to be accessible was a huge job. Like a huge annual report of like almost 400 pages.
0: So what does that mean though? It had, it had to be accessible. So if you didn't know what this was, so a client comes to you, says what, and then how did you uh, decipher that if you didn't know what that was? Well, at the
1: time I did, because I had already started talking about it. And once I started talking about it, I started getting that work. But when you're talking about something being accessible, you're talking about like internet and com- communication technology. It could be a document. It could be a website. It could be an app. It could be, you know, it's a, an electronic publication. So, and the, and I and accessible, always, how? So accessible how so, so yeah, so it's accessible because it you're using colors that have enough contrast for people with low vision or who have color blindness. You're creating a document or a website or an app that so on functionality wise somebody's able to get around and not everybody uses a mouse you know people use the keyboard and they tab around and so there's so there's that as well i mean more on a website there's more much more functionality than there is in a document usually so um but yeah like so i just started incorporating it into everything i was doing but once i started talking about it i started getting this work and then i started getting it more and more and it just started snowballing And it really changed my business because I was like always busy, but I was always doing everything. And it was really exhausting. And I was always shifting from creative to technical. And I did like that about publication design. I love publication design. And I loved that about website design and development. But I also love this about accessibility because you're using creative with technical and you're solving a problem and you're solving it in a creative way so so she has a podcast
0: also and I was like just diving in and I was listening to so many this weekend while I was mowing because I love to mow. Helene also has a zero turn mower and she hasn't gotten on it yet so we should like really encourage her to get on her go-kart. That's what I call mine but um, there were things that uh, a lot of it has to do with setting it up correctly and I know we're not going in the right order but um, but one of the things you talked about was mm-hmm. if if you had set up your, if Diane, if Diane, you'd set up your InDesign document in the beginning using the table of contents that InDesign can provide, it can create bookmarks. And that mm-hmm. could, it could be just the accessibility of a bookmark in a PDF. But the thing that blew my mind, this one tip, again, this is free, right? This is mm-hmm. free. This is the stuff that's on her podcast, which we'll have links for everything. But, uh, and it's called design domination, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, um, but the tip was that you can actually compare, I mean, how many, oh, this one blew my, oh, I just spit. I, you want the news, not the weather people. So you can compare oh, the word document that they sent you and the document that you have. And you're like, how, but there's ways to do You can do it through the PDF and the word document. Mm-hmm. And then it says, oh, there's six differences. Oh, <gasps> oh my gosh, that would be so much better than having to spend all the time that I've definitely done. It tells you and it gives you a report. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it may take me an extra 15 minutes to set up the the table of contents correctly, right? In in InDesign. And I may think, oh, I'll just do it by hand. But it's saving me from not having to go look through all the pages at the end. But also in that document that I can just say, is this document the same as this document? That was like a mind blown to me. Yeah. And is this what you were talking about? That Did you have a podcast back then where you were talking about this stuff? Or what? Were you, where were you talking about when you said I started talking about it? Was
1: it just with people in Maryland? Was it? I didn't have my podcast until 2018. So I just started talking about it like on LinkedIn and... I probably mentioned it in my email newsletter just so I didn't even have this other business with the podcast or courses or any of that back then that so um yeah it was just only to like my clients or like on I think I might have mentioned it on an email list
0: but you didn't start out in accessibility I want to get back on our our Mm -hmm. question so I want to know who what kind of businesses so you started talking about it on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. you um and and as a result, people started contacting you, new people, and you also started talking to your current clients, because this yes. is something that we can do. We can start talking to yes. our current clients about this mm-hmm. um, and how it can be better. And this is what some of the advantages of doing this. But um, can you tell, uh, so from 2016 mm-hmm. on, you started working in this sort of arena?
1: Yeah. So 2016 started with just InDesign accessibility. And I just started, I just changed my workflow. I do a lot of publications, a lot of really complex publications. And I just changed my workflow to start integrating accessibility. Now, if somebody doesn't need accessibility, I don't necessarily go and put alt text on every single image. And I don't necessarily check contrast on everything, you know, but there are things that I'm not going to that I'm not going to go back to working in an inefficient way. I mean I was working already efficiently. I picked this up very easily because I was already using InDesign properly. And most designers that I know that even if they've been using it for 20 years they're not using it properly. They don't understand the features and they don't realize that. And I was doing most of those things already. So it was it was just having to change a few things here and there and then understand the accessibility part of it. The that accessibility component
0: did you learn that stuff in school or did you learn it on your own? Cause I think that if some people are doing it incorrectly, it really mm-hmm. doesn't take that much time to just go through some Adobe, um, probably some things that are free from Adobe, right. or you can mm-hmm. do Linda, or you could do something, just some basic ones about InDesign, right? Even Skillshare has some, some good InDesign kind of classes. If, right. if somebody's like, I do not know what they are talking about. Right. Um, so, I don't want you to feel bad. I just, we just, it can be so much faster to doing an Mm -hmm. index as well. So if you ever Mm -hmm. have to do a document with an index, which I've had to do like annual reports and Mm -hmm. things like that, it is so much easier, so much faster to be able to do this. But again, if you're not using paragraph styles or character styles or things like this, it can, it, I I don't know if many people are, are taught this in school. Students, you know, if you have them as I do, I understand like there's so much we're trying to cram in their heads and they usually will be like, this is way over me, right? Mm -hmm. Over my Mm -hmm. head. So they don't go back and maybe they don't dive in and we're not maybe looking at their files. Like maybe we should, but hopefully in your first job, but people get this, but were you in your first job? Did you have this or was it in school or was it on your own?
1: Well, when I was in college, there was no InDesign and there was PageMaker and Quark Express. And I was you're either on one, you were either on one side or the other. There was no in-between. And I totally hated PageMaker. And I was all about Quark Express. And I used to use all the F keys and, and do all the shortcuts. I loved Quark Express. I went kicking and screaming into InDesign. So I learned Quark Express formally in school, yes. But I had to switch to InDesign when it came out in '99 at the publishing company that I worked at. And that's why I said kicking and screaming because I didn't have a choice. Um, And so then I, yeah. And then I just, I took all, well, actually. So let me mention this. How much time did you spend?
0: Because I want to kind of set the stage. This isn't Mm -hmm. that difficult, but you do have to carve out some time Mm -hmm. to like do it and then start implementing. Then you will get more efficient. You'll be like, holy crap. Why was I doing it this other way for so long? Right.
1: Right. And then you know there's, there's, I hear all the time from these creative agencies that come to me with their files. And, you know, I'll be talking to them and saying, well, you know, if you, if you've set up your files properly, it's not going to cost as much for me to remediate them. But if I have to do a lot of work, it's going to cost you more. And I constantly hear, well, we've been, you know, whoever worked on this has been doing, d- d- has been using InDesign for 20 some years or whatever. And so we're, and we already know something about accessibility. So we think we'll be pretty good. You won't have to do much work. And that's not usually the case. When I get the files, it's a completely different story. So I actually talked to, I did a coaching session with this designer who used to be a florist. And she said, I, I've only been a designer for a year. And I looked at her files and I'm like, your setup of your files and in InDesign is better than 99% of most designers who've been using it for 20 years. Like, I mean, it was really, I was like, wow, how did you learn this? And she said, I just, I, I bought the Adobe InDesign manual and I taught myself. And I said, "We well, you did a heck of a job. I love that. So,
0: okay, so. So explain remediation. So why does it come? I'm going back to that of mm-hmm. who do you serve? So a company comes to you, an agency, creative agency, or mm-hmm. let's say it's a new somebody, not a client that you already had. What, uh, I mean, do they use that term remediation, or remediating their files, or how do
1: they come to you? No, no. A lot of times out here, we need our InDesign files to be ADA compliant or Section 508. and Section 508 is they'll just sometimes they throw around terms and they don't know what they're talking about because they don't understand it. So I hear all kinds of things and I'm like, okay, you know, (laughs) or, you know, so I or they might just say accessible. I'm like, okay, And then I ask about the legal requirements um, and then I tell them what I'm going to do. And, you know, the other thing is that, like, once you once you have set something up in InDesign to be accessible, that's not the end of it. Like a lot of designers will just go, okay, I'm going to export the PDF and I'm going to run the accessibility checker in Acrobat and I'm done because it passed. And it's like, Oh no, you're not. There's a lot more to do. And if you've got tables and you've got some, you know, some other elements you have to like, like it's called scoping tables. You have to do all of that manually. There's a lot more work to be done. There's a lot more checking to be done. The Acrobat checker is, like an automated checker for a website. It only checks like 25 to 30% of issues. It can't check everything. So you're not in the clear just because you run the Acrobat Accessibility Checker. And InDesign can't do everything. You know, it can get you like 90% of the way there. It doesn't do everything. So there is usually still work that you have to do in the PDF.
0: Okay, okay, so that's good, good information to know. Okay, so then, so people in creative agencies come to you, they're just throwing out these terms that somebody else... If people don't know, ADA has levels of compliance, right? There are, are different levels, and that's what you asked about um, um the legal ramifications, what legally they need to be um, right? Is that am I just making that up?
1: Well, okay, so section 508 in the US is the federal law and it applies to the government and it applies to any contractors of the government. And then ADA, it usually applies to the private sector. Okay. Okay, so those are the laws that say. Anything that you create has to be accessible if you fall into these categories, right? And they don't tell you how to be compliant. The Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, also called WCAG for short, those tell you, and those have the three levels of conformance, which are A, AA, and AAA. And most people just have to comply to the middle, which is AA. Like, A is like nothing. It's like not even worth doing. It's like, well, it's not worth doing. But, you know, AA, doing AA doesn't mean that something is going to be fully accessible either but AAA is is very rare of a request and it's very um it's it's much stricter um but yeah so the laws will tell you who has to comply and they usually refer to WCAG 2.0 AA
0: going back to your business changed as you started learning this Mm -hmm. as you started talking about it again this is did you ever feel like you're like, I'm a broken record? Or were you just so excited and you were (laughs) sharing this and it was like, this is awesome? Um, Because I think that we get tired of hearing the cool things that we're uh, learning or we see. Is that, was that a spark? Because I do think that like, Paul does book design. So there's tons of things he could do if he was trying to teach book designers, but he Mm -hmm. needs to spin it so that it's about his clients and his customers, how they're. So were you talking to those creative agencies in their kind of pain points and seeing what uh, like or were you just kind of sharing it for other designers?
1: I just, I just started saying that pretty much that I offered it as a service. And then all these people just popped up out of nowhere and they were like, I need that service. And it's because their, their clients were coming to them saying our documents need to be accessible. So that's pretty much how it was, but I was still doing websites at the time too. So not just publications. So I took all of that information that I learned, you know, cause the accessibility guidelines apply to anything li- like they apply to like a digital document. They apply to a website or an app. So I took what I learned and I, I, I did a lot of research for a very long time and I continued to build websites and incorporate accessibility into them. And I learned something from all these different sites that I worked on. And I learned from other professionals in the field that I consulted with. And then I came up with a, it's like from the sales process to the finished to the finished site and ongoing maintenance, like for my entire process, because the information that I was finding was all over the place. It was all over the map. Some of it was bad, some of it was good. And you didn't know that when you're reading it, right? Especially if you're just getting into it. And the looking at the WCAG guidelines, like a lot of my students will say, like, my eyes glaze over. It's like, right. Because it's like you read them and a lot of them are confusing or they're ambiguous and some of them are contradictory. So I was like, and this is not how I would sit down and build a website, you know? And this is not how I would sit down and build an accessible document looking at these guidelines. It It's not intuitive at all to me. It doesn't have a flow that I that I would use, right? So I just came up with my own processes for these things so that it made sense of like, okay, now at this stage, I'm going to do this. 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 And so that's what I did. So you
0: were still practicing as a de- as a designer doing web and doing print things. And then you just started adding this on because you saw this as a Uh, A need and you started talking about it. So that should tell all of us that we need to start talking about the problems that we see. We need Mm -hmm. to talk about it in a way that our customers would be able to put, would be like, oh my gosh, we need this, right? And Mm -hmm. having some of those terms that are typically coming up. Okay. So it sounds like this was, it could have been sort of a slow kind of overlap. As you were doing it and you were getting more, was it like, oh my goodness, you started getting inundated? Or was it like a two year kind of shift? in, in your business?
1: I'd say the first year there, I was still doing design work that had nothing to do with accessibility, but mm-hmm. it started building from there. And then it's funny. Cause once I started my podcast in 2018, I wasn't, I didn't think designers, I wasn't going to mention anything about accessibility to designers at first. And somebody said something to me and they're like, you have a course. Why aren't you telling like your Facebook group about it? Why aren't you telling your podcast audience about it? And I'm like, because I know how difficult it is to get designers into this. They 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 don't understand. I didn't understand it. I, you know, I figured they're gonna have the same reaction. I mean, I, I know that's how it goes. So I don't at first I was like not gonna do that. So it's funny. Then I started talking about it more, but I, I was also talking about it too prior to that in different Facebook groups online, different like web communities that I'm a part of. And people just started contacting me from all over the world. Hey, I need an accessible website. I need you to help me. I'm like, Oh, okay. I mean, like, so it's like, everybody was just, I mean, never, never really gone in search of clients, but people were just coming to me constantly. And then when I started talking about it on the podcast, you know, then I had designers in my audience coming to me for either accessible websites, like to help them or to, to help them with their InDesign documents. So it was kind of funny.
0: (laughs) I love that. Okay. So then, so as a result of being in communities, being, um, sharing things when somebody mm-hmm. said something being involved, it wasn't like you were just going um, a- and maybe you're posting, but again, you're doing this in a helpful way. Cause I've, mm-hmm. I've seen you online. So I know. <laughs> so, but I want to talk about some of the common myths. So we talked oh, about yeah. some the other day, right? Um, so common myths of accessibility. One, mm-hmm. you've already covered. Oh, my P I ran it through the PDF thing for digital Um I'm fine. But let's talk about let's focus just this Mm -hmm. conversation if we can. I mean, if Mm -hmm. if other things pop up, I'm always happy to have (laughs) extra bonuses. But let's talk about web. So what are some common myths that people say? You had talked about, oh, you know, my theme, it's, it's Mm -hmm.
1: accessible. Right. So a lot of times I'll see because I'm looking at the questions people ask in Facebook groups a lot and I get tagged in like almost any of them that say accessibility. So (laughs) I'm always like right there. So, yeah, I see a lot of people say, well, I use an accessible theme. So my site's accessible. And it's like, well, first off, just because you go into the WordPress repository and choose an accessibility ready theme does not make it 100 percent accessible. And I've seen tons of issues like major, major accessibility barriers in some of these accessibility ready ones, you know, accessibility ready ones. And the theme Also, it doesn't do anything for your page content, like your text, your images, any audio and video. It doesn't do anything for that. And it's not going to do anything for the documents on your website. And a lot of developers and web designers forget, or they they don't know, I should say forget, they don't know that just because you're building an accessible website, you should also be making sure that those documents on that website are accessible. I love that's that. That
0: was one. Yeah, that's a whole, like say you have a downloadable PDF for people right. who are coming. Uh, it's the five things you can do to blank, right? But that document is not accessible.
1: Right, right? So, so somebody who might be using a screen reader could open that document. There's no tags in it. And because they need ta- tags are the functionality, the underlying functionality for accessibility in the PDF. And if there's no tags in it, like they have nothing to go by. Like they can't access your content.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I love that. So what um we also talked about um I know you I have, have tons a, of these I have tons I know, of these myths. I know. So I so um you talked about uh one thing that really got you worked up was overlays. hmm Do you wanna give them a little I know you have an episode on that too. So Oh yes, I,
1: I have a whole episode, a whole rant about that. <laughs> and I just put out a short video today ranting too. Yeah. So overlays for, okay, web accessibility overlays, that means that, well, people that make these overlays, the companies that make them, they say, okay, we're gonna make your site Section 508 compliant or WCAG 2.1 AA compliant or ADA compliant or whatever. And it's all you have to do is install this line of JavaScript and put it on your site, right? And then poof, your site is accessible, except it's not. And if you go to their own websites, and you go to the websites of the people, the companies using them, because they they put out there the logos of the companies that use their overlay. You can see accessibility errors all over them, and you you can run the automated checker and find those errors. I mean, there's other errors that you find if you do a manual check, but you could there's errors on there all the time. And so there's those own sites are proof that they don't work. But it's like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> it, oh my god, it's it's awful. It's snake oil, and everybody in 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 this accessibility industry. It, it, it like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's been crazy. It's been a lot of drama. Let's put it that way.
0: I like the snake oil <laughs> reference. Like, Oh, you just put this on and you'll be healed. Right.
1: Right. Like, yeah. Right. And so a lot of, a lot of web designers and developers will resell overlays as a service, like for ongoing compliance. And I keep seeing this in Facebook groups and I'm like, you'd have no idea what you just got yourself into because the other thing is like the terms of service, they don't protect you and they don't protect your client. They protect themselves. And sometimes, some of them say that you have to have a perfectly coded, validated site for them to work. But who cares? That's besides the point, because an overlay is still an automated tool. And overlays, any kind of automated tool is not going to be able to check for 25% to 30% of issues. I mean, there are automated checkers out there that will check for less than that. And there's some that will check for more, but that's a general number. And so there's a lot of manual checking that has to be done for the 75 to 80% of the rest of the issues that, and no automated checker is going to find, you know? Right. Um, So, and some of the sites that have used overlays are involved in lawsuits from what I've seen on some legal blogs. So, but the biggest thing is that the overlays are lipstick on a pig. They're they're not addressing the underlying code. That's not, that's the issue. The issue is the code, at least with the structure of the site, you know, not the content necessarily, but the structure. So they're not, they're not doing anything for that. So let's talk about automated
0: checkers and then we'll, mm-hmm. uh, I want to talk about really, maybe we have some misconceptions on what mm-hmm. disability is, right? So, or uh, a, a disability, because sometimes mm-hmm. a disability could be just a short-term disability, like what happened mm-hmm. to my eye last mm-hmm. year. So um, let's talk about automated checkers. There's mm-hmm. there's uh, a, a few things that you can do and they will run through and they'll give you a grade, right? Is mm-hmm. that kind of what you're talking about?
1: Well... <laughs> There might be some that give a grade. The, so there's like, there's Wave, which you can install as a browser extension, like in Chrome or something. But you can also go to the Wave site and put in like a page, a URL, and it will check it. Um, there's others that are like an app. Um, <laughs> okay, it's okay. He's just so excited oh about my that God. <laughs> Everything is gone on in this podcast today. <laughs> so the automated checkers will check for, like I said, about 25% to 30% of issues. But a lot of web designers and developers will run an automated checker after they've built a site and they'll say, okay, great. I passed the wave checker. I passed the ax checker, whatever one they're using. And they're like, great. So the site's accessible. And it's like, no, no, not at all. Not at all. And I mean, I I do website audits and I can tell you that on a site I, I audited, there were Probably I think there were only like other than contrast errors, I think there were only two other errors that were found by automated checkers. And my report was it was like one issue per page and my report and there were some, you know, intro pages. It it was over a hundred pages of issues. So that's a lot.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. So so, really, an automated checker might be a good start, but it's not there right. you need. It. Uh, you need to be. And the other thing is, it's not done at the end. So, you talk about right. this in your branding workshop or your course as well, because really, you need to do branding. It's totally fine. You need <laughs> to do branding um, accessibility from the beginning. You need to mm-hmm. do web accessibility from the beginning. When yes. do I, I? When do you say you know what? It's worth it. For the look, because the audience is um, whatever. Maybe you never do that, but um, what? Like if you, I know that. Like if you have a a carousel, those Mm -hmm. don't. Those aren't as are poor accessibility. Uh, well, they have,
1: Nielsen Norman, I think it was, said that there's, they rarely get any engagement past the first slider. So there's, and but they present usability issues, but they don't, like nobody really looks at the other sliders on, in a piece of a carousel, whatever you want to call them. Um, so they're really, yeah, they, but they're hard to get right for accessibility.
0: Right. So when would you choose, like maybe you just would never do that, right? You would never choose Right, use... So
1: designers hate sliders. So it's a great way to tell your client, no, it's not a good idea for accessibility to talk them out of it.
0: <laughs> so, but what if, is there ever a time, maybe not a slider, but is there ever a time where you choose a different design? Um, you choose the design over the accessibility? Is there ever? Mm.
1: No. Um, <laughs> okay. I that's mean, good. You, you, like design, accessibility starts with the design when you're building a site right, or, or a document. So accessibility starts with the design. You've got to get the design right before you can start getting into like, the more technical stuff. Right.
0: So you see in, in branding and on web, um, you see a lot of people, contrast is, is huge. So even in mm-hmm. branding, somebody's made a whole logo, they've spent $30,000 on this and you're like, hey, this isn't gonna work. Oh yeah. Um, Oh, Oh, yeah, she has something you'd like she'd like for you to look at. Okay, we will we will get you connected. And she has her Mm -hmm. hand up. So I think she's meaning but we'll get you connected. Um, But is there. um, So is there anything else like that just on the top of your mind that is a like a something that just busts your butt on this? Like, oh, people do this all the time. And I don't think this I don't know. They need to know.
1: There, Well, yeah, I mean, there's, and this is is kind of like myths and misconceptions too, but a lot of designers, they think that accessibility is ugly. So they think if they make something accessible, it's going to be unattractive. And a lot of websites are ugly and a lot of documents are ugly, but they're not ugly because they're accessible. You know, it's just how they were designed. And when you have something that's accessible, it can look good, but it's also going to work better. And when it works better, it's going to get better results for whoever your client is. And it's going to, help somebody read it and it's going to help that information get conveyed whether it's a document or a website so it has nothing to do with how attractive it is and then a lot of designers also say well accessibility means designing with only dark colors but if you <laughs> it's, I, can thunder. It. It's what? I can barely hear your dog oh okay because yeah. there's thunder so they're barking yeah, but your mic is so good that they okay, can't really hear it. I mean, I, I, I wish these work. earbuds worked better so I didn't have to hear it. <laughs> so accessibility does not mean designing with only dark colors. Because if you only designed with dark colors, then you wouldn't have accessible color combinations because it all depends on how they're used together. And I actually had a client once when I was designing an email and they're like, okay, well, we're not going to... um. I just at least, we're not going to get full into accessibility with it, but we would like to have at least the design be accessible. And I was like, okay, fine. So we did that. And then we designed it. And then I sent off a proof and then the client had asked me something. And I said, well, we're working with the colors you gave us. So you'd either, we ha- either have to like, you know, like modify them, how they're used together, like lighten or darken some of them or use a different color. And so she was fine with it, but then she goes, well, I didn't think that you could use any light colors. And so I didn't send you all the colors in the brand color palette. And I was like, why did you make that decision? If you don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, like you have uh, me and Amy love your, your background one, because it <laughs> close to Auburn colors. Um, so war Eagle, Amy, Amy <laughs> she went to Auburn too, but, but so having good contrast. Oh, and, and Hannah too. I'm sorry, Hannah. We all went to Auburn, but having that good contrast is really uh, important. But it's also, I think, I mean, having like really light gray text on white, it's really difficult to read. I there's an app that I'm I'm using, and it's really I'm I I'm in the beta, so I keep like giving them feedback. I'm like, this is too small. If you want me to do this in the morning without my glasses on, or even with my glasses on, this is the first thing I need dark type. Can you just make the type dark, like? more contrast. But uh, I want to bring up some of the misconceptions about what uh is maybe a disability or who might need accessibility mm-hmm. um, because that may be something when that we might not be thinking about because it's not always all the time, right? It could be I've broken my arm mm-hmm. and I can't use the mouse anymore. Right. It could be I had a part of my vision was blocked uh, for about six months Um uh, and my vision was distorted. And that could be a accessibility issue. Mm-hmm. What are some other ones that maybe we're not thinking about? It's not just blind people and deaf people, right? Like, right. You think, oh, well, a deaf person can get through your site, no problem. But there might be uh, audio, video or audio. Mm-hmm. That you need to have closed captionings. There's other mm-hmm. things. But what are some things that I have not Mentioned because I'm sure there's lots I haven't mentioned.
1: Right, because a lot of times I hear, oh, well, as we'll t- we'll test our after we build this accessible site, we'll we'll test it with a screen reader, and if it works with a screen reader, we're good, or we'll have we'll have a user who has blindness test it, and it's like users with blindness don't know what they're not, not they don't know what they're missing, right? So I mean, user testing is good, but you know, I mean, there's. there's a limitation to that. But yeah, so a lot of people focus on blindness, but that's only one type of visual disability. And I think it actually makes up the smallest portion of all visual disabilities because you've got colorblindness, you've got macular degeneration, you've got cataract, diabetic retinopathy and glaucoma, right? And then you've also got cognitive learning and neurological disabilities like autism, ADHD, Down syndrome, dyslexia and epilepsy, right? And then you've got full or partial hearing loss, You've also got motor disabilities like MS and again, temporary disabilities, broken wrist or arm. Like what if, what if you fall off a ladder, fall off your skateboard or your rollerblades, you have a car accident, you know, if you, and if maybe you can't use a mouse. So what do you do? Right. I mean, it's like, how would you feel if you had to start using a website with the keyboard because, or a screen reader, because you can't use the mouse now. Yeah. That is such a great point. So um, that's a,
0: uh, and also I think about, um, what about if you're using it on a tablet? I know my mom's here. She only really uses her tablet. She doesn't have a computer. Um, Not that we wouldn't buy her one. She just uses her tablet. But is that also uh, in that we should be testing for how people, uh, I know I've gotten, um, I have a checker on my site, it's probably automated, So I probably need to rethink this, but, um, but it says some of my buttons are too close. And I thought, oh, wow, that's another. So sometimes I have buttons that are right on top of each other. It's saying I need more padding in between, or maybe I need more padding to the left and the right. And I think those are things that we might not understand, but those are things that, you know, these are things that we need to do as we're designing because somebody's finger, my mom's finger, my, she can't or my thing might be too small or something you know what I mean
1: right so those are good usability points to think about when you're designing something and accessibility is awesome for usability because it's there's a saying that accessibility is essential for some but it's you know it helps everyone it's good for all so
0: It is. And it's also, so one of the basic things I think uh, when I first started understanding SEO or accessibility Mm -hmm. or anything was just like alt tags, right? So it's you describing alt text. 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 Sorry, (laughs) alt text. I'm sorry. But I think of it as like meta tech, meta tags, meta tags. Those -hmm. are two different things. Nobody even cares about meta tags anymore, right? That I thought it was just like, just put the same thing in on all of them. Right. That's absolutely terrible <laughs> because it's not helping
1: anybody with what you're. Oh, for SEO, you mean, like if you go and, and put. Yeah, but it,
0: but that should that would be it would it might be OK SEO wise, but it doesn't
1: help the person
0: reading the reading. It doesn't, the thing.
1: It doesn't help either to do that because that's keyword stuffing. So and I'm not an SEO expert, but it's keyword stuffing. So you don't want to go around and stuff your alt text with keywords because and the other thing is, like you said, it's like it makes for a bad user experience because. It's how is it helping them to hear that same thing over and over again? You always want to avoid redundancy. But the other thing with SEO and accessible sites is that accessible sites can rank higher because they, like in search results pages, because they use proper semantic code, proper semantic tags. And so when that happens, a lot of times the sites, like the code isn't bloated. And a leaner website, means like leaner code, means faster page load times. And that can mean getting a boost in Google search results. And you know, if, you're, if you're, that site's gonna rank higher in the search results than over a competitor, that could be the edge that they need to get more sales. You know, But w- when it comes to the content, it helps SEO too because accessibility is about having properly formatted content. And when search engines can understand the content of the page properly, because the content's been formatted properly, then they can, pr- search engines can provide more relevant content and So that could mean that somebody is actually going to click through and stay on the site, stay on the site longer because that they found what they were looking for.
0: Yeah. I think about um, I have a client who is like retirement living and I think about maybe somebody with cataracts or glaucoma where they might not be able to really tell what they can tell. It's an animal, but it's a small animal. They don't know if it's a dog or they don't know if it's a cat or there's a lady, a picture of this lady and her cat and, the lady and the cat are, everything's the same color. Like even the wall, it's like everybody's beige. And it's like you would need that alt text to say, I would think, now granted I am just learning, Mm -hmm. but you would need to say, you know, um, active uh, woman, 55 and over with a cat. Again, or with a small dog, because they are saying small dogs are okay. These maybe huge big dogs are not welcome. In this uh, retirement community, but mm-hmm. and I don't know, uh, I'm not didn't tell you who it is, but but like those are things that people maybe with glaucoma they couldn't really. N- n- it's more ish. and there's not thing. I don't know about gla- glaucoma, but I know about cataracts. Anyway, mm-hmm. the end. There's my eye disease. I mm-hmm. have no idea what I'm talking about. But is that <laughs> something in alt text of, of describing what it is, or is there sort of like a system that we need to go through. And is that something you do as you're building, or is that something you have them do and you give them like a, a check sheet or is I, I, that so two different I, prices?
1: I actually just did a podcast episode on this today. So it using, I did. So the alt text, it's not going to be the same. For, you could have like what you have is alt text for one image on one page. If you use that same image on another page, it may not have any alt text on that page or might have different alt text. It really depends on what you're trying to convey and depends on the context. The context is everything. So that's mm-hmm. gonna also tell you like how much detail you have to go into as well in that image, you know? Um,
0: so you wouldn't use the exact same image? Cause I thought if I'm putting an Im- insert image it's the mm-hmm. same image, mm-hmm. I, would, I would load it twice then. So it had different alt text for each page.
1: Well, so you're going to, you can add the alt text, obviously in the media library to the image. And then once Mm -hmm. you go to insert it after that, it's going to inherit that alt text when you put the image on the page. But if you put that image, like on that, that let's say you have a page where you put that image and it takes that alt text, right. And it should have that alt text, but you might use that image on another page on the site and it shouldn't have any alt text. So then you would need to remove it. Not, not, I wouldn't remove it from the media library. I'd go into the page code and remove it right. there. So it really depends. And it really, how verbose you get and how descriptive you get is really gonna depend on the context of mm. how the image is being used.
0: So when would you not use alt text on the image? Like just because you want the, it to load fat? Like, I'm sorry to ask such a weird question.
1: No, that's a good question. You don't use alt text. Like a lot of designers will either not use alt text on anything or they'll put it on too much. They'll put it on everything. And you don't want to put alt text on something decorative because that becomes a distraction to the user of a screen reader because they are now hearing about images that are like for fluff. They're like decorative images, right? They're just, they don't need to know about them. They just want to get the content. They don't want to know that that decorative border is, you know, blue and swirly or whatever you know what I'm saying so
0: okay I I okay I love that okay so is there um we've kind of gone over some I'm I I realized what time it is now and I'm um does accessibility I know you're not an SEO expert but does Mm -hmm. accessibility help SEO
1: Yes. Yeah, so th- what, I, so what I mentioned a moment ago about that is that it can, because you're using proper semantic tags, when you're building the site, that's going to help search engines understand the content of the page. So that'll help. That can help where that page ranks in the search results, but it also can help with the, like the leaner page code. There's not all this filler code. You're using proper tags to do things. You're not, um, doing a bunch of workarounds and adding extra code. So you're using semantic tags. So what, you have leaner code and that means the site will be faster and then that can get a boost from Google in the search results.
0: Okay. So why is this best to bring this to your client's attention and how, what's that conversation look like? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I, I think people should bring it up even if they don't know how to implement accessibility because clients are hiring you to be the expert. And when you don't bring it up, and they do, it does a couple of things. And one is that it puts you in the order taker position. You, like, you're supposed to be the expert. They shouldn't be asking you for something that you should already be bringing up. And then they'll wonder why you didn't bring it up. And that right. doesn't make you look good. Like, you know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus when I get InDesign files from a designer that didn't know how to use InDesign properly, you know. And it's like the, the clients are revisiting the design process again. It's costing them time and money to do that you know, and you're probably already advising them about SEO, maybe, or SSL and privacy policies. And when you don't build an accessible website, you might as well tell your client, well, hey, I'm going to build you a website, but it's only going to reach 80% of people. So is that okay with you? You know, and what happens if you build them a site and then they get sued, they're going to come after you and they're going to go, why the heck didn't you mention this at all? So putting Mm -hmm. your head in the sand and trying to ignore it is not going to help anybody. And I know several people that that's happened to. So you have to think of accessibility as, it's not an add-on, it's part of building a website the right way. That is a lot of it. And like, just like you don't use tables anymore for layout, right? And so you shouldn't use like divs everywhere for certain parts of the website. So it makes you a better coder. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We are getting a really bad storm here. And I need to go to, I need, probably need to get off here in a minute. There's a lot of lightning and rain. It's really bad.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, I will let you go. I want to make sure that I tell people Colleen, we'll have to have you back to get the rest of these. Yes. You guys can um, go to um, you can join me in, in her course um, and academy.creative-boost.com creative boost. boost. I'm going to put all of these links and you can follow her in three different places. Um, Instagram, design.domination, Facebook, Creative Boost Co, and LinkedIn, Gratzer. I feel like I'm saying your last name wrong. It's correct Gra- what you said, saying. Gratzer Graphics. I've, mm-hmm. I listened to the, your podcast so many times. I was like, I'm going to say it right. I'm going to say it right. I'm going <laughs> to say it right. Um, so I'm going to put that in. And so you guys can uh, check it out. I think some of them didn't come in as links. because They're on links. If you go to um, recharging you here on this, it'll be even easier. They are all here as well. So you can check it out. Um, all those links are there. Plus the rest of the questions. So, I will let you go.
1: I see the lightning. I see it. it's going. It's bad so- and I'm terrified because I've had lightning come through a window at me before. So yeah, it's I'm terrified. <laughs> okay,
0: well, we don't want that. Have- Colleen, thank you so much. Sorry for the, all the tech issues. We'll have you back on and we'll finish this conversation. Thank you. Thank I'd love you so to do that. Much.
1: Yeah, thanks for attending, everyone. I appreciate it.